add a bit of sunshine to your home with Easy Living Furniture's Garden Furniture Sale with stunning dining sets, cracking egg chairs and relaxing sun loungers that are in stock and ready for delivery there really is something for everyone and with an extra 10% off sale prices and free delivery over 399 now really is the time to let your garden shine Garden Sale now on Visit Easy Living Furniture Don't miss out Find your local store online at easylivingfurniture.ie Leia Healthcare It's good to live Proud sponsor of The Real Health Podcast with Carl Henry Hello and welcome to The Real Health Podcast in association with Leia Healthcare with me, Carl Henry Folks in this week's episode, I am super, super excited. We're going to chat about one of the key things that affects your health in every single way. And that thing is stress. We've covered it in different ways before, but not one full episode. And certainly not with someone like the guest who I have in studio now. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, who's well known in the UK for the resident doctor on BBC One's Breakfast and has his own chart-topping podcast, Feel Better and Live More. I'm delighted honoured and very excited to say he's joining me on this week's show. How's it going? Yeah, really good, Carl. I've got to say thank you for inviting me. I'm super delighted to be here in Dublin and having a chat about all things stress, I hope. Yeah, so you just launched your new book, uh, The Stress Solution, the, the Four Steps to Reset Your Body, Mind, Relationships and Purpose. I love it. Yeah, well, look, I, I'm really proud of it. Uh, it's been out for a few weeks in the UK. It's it's going really well. Feedback's been brilliant. Um, and as you know, you know, being an author... Um, I say I'm an author. I'm a doctor, really, who also writes books. Well, you've written two. The first one, the now, first yeah. one was best-selling. This is your second one. <laughs> author could definitely be yeah. could definitely be, be part of your. I guess it's uh, in my head. I need to sort of turn my head, and so I can actually say I'm an author. Um, but you know, as you know, you you sort of spend months locked away trying to write something, really trying to create something that you hope will connect with people. So that you know, my goal is to really inspire every reader to think you know what, health's not as hard as I thought it was, actually. I can do this. Um, and the feedback's just been incredible. So I'm delighted that the message seems to be resonating. And I think, you know, you mentioned stress. I think for me, particularly at this time of year in January, I think everyone's focused on their food. Everyone's focused on going to the gym. You know, they want to make that New Year's health change. And I understand that. But what a lot of people, I don't think, realize is that stress underpins so many of the choices that we make. So let's say people are trying to reduce sugar in January, which many people are. What often happens is that for a week or two, they can use willpower, but they don't realize that actually if stress is, if sugar is their way of soothing the stresses in their everyday life, then actually it's only going to be a matter of time before you revert back to your old habits. Same with alcohol. And so I kind of feel that, yes, changing your diet is important. Yes, getting more active is important. But we've often got to think about the underlying cause for many of those choices, and that's stress. And has stress become a modern day problem, or was it around years ago, but people didn't have as much of it, or it wasn't as it wasn't as big a topic, say 20, 30, 40 years ago, and now it seems to be very much the topic. Yeah, Carl, I think you, you've you've hit the nail on the head there. I think look, stress has always been around. The stress response we have got, you know, evolved millions of years ago. So it's the same stress response today that we had two million years ago. What has changed is the modern environment. And I can tell you that as a doctor, so I've been seeing patients now for nearly 18 years. And in that time, the amount of stress-related problems I'm seeing has exploded. Even if I look back five years ago as a GP, I wasn't seeing as many stress-related issues as I'm seeing today. So I think this is a problem that is getting worse. 
I think stress is endemic. You know, the World Health Organization are calling stress the health epidemic of the 21st century, which is remarkable. And, you know, as a GP, all, this, all, the, all the research suggests that up to 80% of what I see each day as a GP is in some way related to stress, which is, I don't know, does that statistic surprise you? It's huge. It's huge. Absolutely huge. You know, and a newer study has suggested 90%, but the reality is, is that as a GP, every day I see problems like this. Anxiety, low mood, insomnia, poor memory, inability to concentrate, even things like low libido, gut problems such as irritable bowel syndrome, and things like you know obesity, type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure. All of these things, a lot of them seem quite unrelated, but all of those different conditions that I mentioned at their root cause have stress as a key, key driver. And I don't think we're giving it enough attention. And what do you think is causing that then? So we're saying it's a modern day problem. In the last five years, there's been a huge explosion. The amount of patients that you're seeing, the WHO are involved also as well with, with those kind of stats, 80 to 90% of everything uh, is starting with stress. So what what's the causation factors? Is it obviously social phones, technology has to be a huge component of it, and the attachment that we have for them? Yeah, I think there are so many different factors here, but... Um, I think one of them is technology, no question. You know, our email inboxes that we're constantly looking at seven days a week, the three social media channels we're constantly trying to stay up to date with, the fact that, you know, there's a lot of pressure on us in our jobs these days. Many of us have got competing demands, uh, conflicting workloads. We might, you know, we might have children. Two, uh, mum and dad might be both working, um, you know, trying to earn a living. One of them's trying to get back early to pick up the kids, take them to an after-school club. Many of us have got elderly parents we're also trying to look after now, as well as everything else we're doing. But I say one of the big ones is the fact that these days, that that line between our work life and our personal life seems to be blurred. You know, because of technology now, you can go home in the evening, have dinner, let's say, with your partner or your children, or by yourself, however you want to do it. And then you've got the option of going back onto your work emails and getting ahead. Many of us are now checking our work emails on a Saturday, on a Sunday. You know, this wasn't happening 15 years ago. The capability wasn't there 15 years ago. And I think this is causing a problem. So, you know, about a quarter of the book is on technology in terms of, you know, it's not about demonizing technology. We all love technology. I love it just as much as anyone else. But I do think we all need a few rules around it so that actually technology really helps us and serves us rather than enslaves us. Yeah, it's about putting a structure on it, a a, a frame in terms of how we use it and putting some barriers in place, I suppose. Just from looking through the book over the last few days, it's a very much holistic approach um, and a simple approach, which is brilliant, which is great. In terms of the GP world and medics in general, do you think that prescription and with pills has become too easy an option in terms of dealing with stress and and the stress-related issues? 100%. There's no doubt in my mind that we're over-prescribing medications for you know, a whole variety of different conditions where there is another way of dealing with them. Now, to be fair, I think all doctors and all medics are trying to do the best that they can for their patients, given the framework and the, and the sort of the environment in which we work, but also in view of our training. And there's two quite separate things there. In the UK, as a GP, I get about 10 minutes. Well, 10 minutes it says on the door. In reality, it's seven minutes with each patient, which is frankly not enough to deal with the complexity of problems we're seeing today. That's the first thing. But the second thing is, is as a doctor, we're not really trained in lifestyle. We're not trained in um, you know, how damaging the stress response is and then what we can recommend our patients do. 
And it's the same with nutrition, it's the same with physical activity, it's the same with sleep. We get very little of our training to do with that. And what's really interesting for me is that, you know, you mentioned my first book, The Four Pillar Plan, but also the new book, The Stress Solution, I pretty much learnt all of the tools that I put in these books by myself, right? I wasn't taught them at medical school. So, you know, I've, I, I went into medicine to really help people understand what was driving their problems so that I could help them get better. But, you know, a few years ago, I realized that actually I was probably only helping about 20% of my patients, like really helping them. I think the other 80%, you know, sure, I was giving them a pill. I was maybe referring them somewhere. Um, but I thought I was putting a sticking plaster on their problem rather than getting to the root cause. And so I think medics are starting to be aware now that actually our lifestyle plays a much bigger role in many conditions. And look, when we talk about lifestyle, you know, something I'm really passionate about is everyone thinks it's just about obesity and type 2 diabetes. Of course, lifestyle plays a role there. But even the, the conditions I mentioned, our mental health, um, you know, headaches, gut problems, migraines, all these kind of problems, even hormonal problems, lifestyle plays a big role. And so, you know, I actually created last year with a colleague of mine, uh, the very first Royal College of GPs accredited prescribing lifestyle medicine course. Wow. So, spent about six months trying to put it together. Um, the feedback's been incredible. We sort of trained nearly 500 doctors last year, not just GPs, consultant cardiologists, psychiatrists, endocrinologists, because throughout the medical profession, there is this growing awareness that actually, you know, we don't get enough training in this area. So I thought, well, how can I actually help? So I've created this course. We're running it again this year in the UK, and we hope to train about 1,000 doctors. I've had quite a few comments on social media from uh, doctors here in Ireland from saying, when are you going to bring it to Dublin? And so if there's enough interest, we would be delighted to come over and teach the course here in Dublin. Well, if because If you are coming over, do come in and say hello to us again. We're I will do, and you should come you. down. You should come to the course. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really about the science behind these lifestyle changes, but then how can a doctor deliver a lifestyle prescription to their patient within 10 or 15 minutes? It's a challenge, but it's not impossible. Talk me through um, the four steps. So in the book, it's the four steps to reset your body, your mind, your relationships, and purpose. Talk me through those steps. Yeah, so the, f the first section of the book, the these four things are what I call the stress superhighways that exist in the modern world, in 21st century living. Uh, and the reason I put these four separate areas in is because... You know, stress is different to different people. And I really wanted to simplify the concept so that people understand, oh, you know, that applies to me. Or actually, that doesn't apply to me. I'm going to go to another section in the book. Uh, so purpose, I think that's one of the most important sections. And this is this, about this whole idea that actually not having a sense of meaning and purpose in your life arguably is the fastest way to stress you out. Um, it's an inherently stressful life. And I've found with a lot of my patients that if they don't have a reason to get up each morning, I'm very limited with what I can do with them. A lot of the changes that I recommend that they make, I can't get them to stick. Uh, now, look, it's easy to sit here and say, yeah, we need more meaning and purpose in our life. But how do you do that in real life? And I created a brand new framework in the book to help people do this, one that I use for my patients. It's called the LIVE framework, L-I-V-E. Um, you know, we could probably spend an hour just going through this framework. But just very simply, L is about doing something you love. I is about doing something each day with intent. V is about developing a long-term vision. And E is about engaging with others. And, you know, the feedback to this framework has been fantastic because you don't have to get them all from one aspect in your life. 
you can um, you know you can get it from different aspects. I'll give an example. Right, I, I had a patient recently, fifty-three year old chap, who you know was quite a senior at a local company. Um, he was earning good money, but he was working hard, uh, and he came to see me feeling low, lack of self-esteem, struggling to concentrate at work, and he thought he might be getting depression. I had a chat to him. I was trying to find out about his life. I said, do you enjoy your job? He goes, ah, you know, it's okay, so-so. Um, I said, have you thought about changing? He said, I can't do that. It pays, you know, it's what pays for my mortgage, pays for my food, pays for the kids. I said, okay, um, how's your relationship with your wife? Yeah, it's all right. We've been married for 20 years, okay. It was very indifferent about everything. I said, do you get to chill out the weekend and do anything? Nah, you know, I've just got to take the kids to these classes. I don't really get to do much. And as I got to know him, I thought, you know, he has no passion in his life. He doesn't ever do anything that he loves. So I said to him, look, do you have any hobbies? He said, no. I said, okay, have you ever had any hobbies? Is it? He said, yeah, I used to play with train sets. I used to love them. I said, would you have a train set at home? And he said, well, I've got one in the attic, but I've not seen it for years. I said, do me a favor. When you get home tonight, get that train set down and just start playing around. Anyway, he goes away. He was a little bit skeptical, I'm sure. Um, And then I don't see him for a while. Three months later, I'm in the surgery car park and I bump into his wife. And I said, hey, um, how's your husband getting on? She said, oh my God, he's like a different person. I feel like I've got my husband back. He's always on eBay looking for collector's items. He buys the (laughs) magazines. He's pottering around at the weekends with his train set. And he's like a different person. I saw him three months after that when he came in for an annual wellman check. I'll tell you what was interesting. I asked him, how are you getting on? He said, absolutely amazing. My mood's good. Um, I'm closer with my wife now. And actually, I'm really enjoying my job. So what did this guy have? This guy didn't have a mental health problem. He had a, a passion deficiency, a pleasure deficiency in his life. And just by actually in, in one area of his life at home, by re-engaging with a simple hobby, everything else in his life started to get better. So one of my recommendations to people is, can you get a daily dose of pleasure? Having pleasure each day right, makes you more resilient to stress. But at the same time, if you're chronically stressed, your brain, you find it harder to experience pleasure in everyday things. And this can be five minutes a day. It can be reading, listening to music, going for a walk. It can even be watching your favorite comedian on YouTube for five minutes. It really doesn't matter. So anyone listening to this, please, five minutes of pleasure every single day. What, what's your purpose then? So we chat about it. It's basically, it's, it's a you what you're talking about there is, is a mission statement so companies have mission statements and it directs everybody that people in their own lives should have a mission statement or a vision to work towards i'm fascinated by what yours is so my mission and my purpose uh, and it's a great question because it's something until a few years ago i not really thought about i was just living day to day like everyone else like like not everyone else like many people and it's something i've really tapped into over the last years of why do I do what I'm doing? Why do I see patients? Why do I try and make TV shows that are going to help improve people's public health, uh, you know, improve their health? Why do I write books? Uh, Why do I do the podcast? And it's all the same reason. I want to empower as many people as I possibly can to be the architects of their own health. And that's my mission. That's my purpose. And actually on my website, I've actually put my goal is to try and change the lives of 100 million people around the world. Now, I would never have had the confidence to say that to you even two years ago. Even 12 months ago, I wouldn't have said that because I would have felt a bit shy. You know, I'm a Brit. We don't really say things like that. (laughs) Um, But I've been, you know, hanging out with a lot of people who do make these sort of bold mission statements. And I've realized actually it's a great way of 
helping you make decisions in life. You know, I read this article basically in The Guardian newspaper in the UK where they said 100 million people each around the world have to choose between food or healthcare. And it, and it really affected me. I thought, wow, that's an incredible amount of people who have got to make a choice, a very stark choice. And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing to try and give that information to the world that helps 100 million people? So I don't know if I'll get there, right? But that's my mission. And, and the reason why I think it's potentially achievable is the BBC One series that I did, Doctor in the House, where I went into families' houses to try and show them how, with some simple lifestyle changes, how quickly they can turn their health around. You know, that was watched by 5 million people in the UK each week. That's gone to 70 countries around the world now. And so I kind of feel that, you know, that has probably had reach in in millions. Now, not everyone who watches it will make a change. But in the UK, if 1% of people who watch that show made some kind of change in their everyday life, that's, what, that's about, you know, that's 50,000 people. If it's 10% of people, that's half a million. So I kind of feel... Um, you know, that's a big, big goal for me. Can I ask you what your mission is? Ooh, back at me. It's similar to your, yourself. It, the, my mission has been for the last, say, probably 10 years, if not more, to help as many people get healthy, get fit as possible, in the simplest way possible. Yeah. In my opinion, health is health has barriers around it that stop people from getting healthy. It's complicated. It's hard. It's the wrong message. So the goal is, as, a, as a person, as a brand, is to pull all that away and make it super simple. So we have a TV show here called Operation Transformation. I've been on that for 12 years. I've done five books. I've got the podcast series. And then the other part of the mission is that every year to try and be... A pioneer is, is the wrong word, but to try and be at the front of what yeah. we do. So every year we push the boundaries of health and get more people in in the loop of listening to this to stuff. So we're very much on the same page. Yeah, it's not dissimilar at all, is it? And like you're talking about change there. Small changes are one of your big things throughout the book. And, and you know I've listened to your podcast before. You're very passionate about getting people to make small changes in their lives and that they can be really kind of incremental in long term health. I think the reason is is um, I think we've overcomplicated health as a society. I think many people think they've got two options. They can either be healthy or they can enjoy life. And I passionately do not believe that that's the case. I think you can have both. Um, I think health is a necessary ingredient to getting the most out of your life. Uh, and that's why you know my podcast is called Feel Better, Live More. I think when we feel better, we can live more. And I've realized actually from seeing tens of thousands of patients now that actually anyone can go on a two-week diet and feel great or a, you know, an extreme something for two weeks and feel great. I'm interested in helping my patients feel better in two weeks, in two years, you know, in 20 years. I want to make, I want to help people make long-term sustainable change. And in my experience, the way most people manage that is by taking small steps rather than trying to do it all for one month. You know, in January, let's say, the, the resolution, they do it all in January. Then for the other 11 months, they flip back to their old patterns. Um, I get, you know, one of, one of the key moments, I remember this really well, uh, I had a patient in my practice a few years ago, and this chap was a little bit overweight. I'd been reading all the research on, on lean muscle mass and how um, lean muscle mass is really important for our overall well-being and health, but also the number one predictor of how well we're going to be as we age. And I remember telling him, and I said, I think strength training is going to really help you. And he said, what, like, you know, what, Doc, like, sort of 30, 40 minutes, three times a week at the gym. I said, hey, if you can do that, that would be amazing. And so he goes out. 
he comes about four weeks later and I said, hey, how did you get on? Did you, you know, how are you getting on in the gym? Ah, you know what, Doc? Work's been busy. Um, It's quite expensive, actually. It's not on the way to or back from work. I've not really done anything yet. And I think I'm, I'm quite unusual because I didn't think then, why has he not done what I've asked him to do? What I thought is, I've clearly not given this guy advice that he feels is relevant to him in the context of the rest of his life. And so in that moment, I thought, right, I'm going to teach you a strength workout now. I whipped my jacket off and I said, right, <laughs> I want to, you know, I, I, I don't think all GPs do this, but this is, this is the sort of thing my patients get from me. I said, right, let me teach you something right now. And I taught him what I call the five-minute kitchen workouts, which has proved a huge hit with my patients. I talk about it in the book. And basically, um, I said, uh, all I want you to do is this five-minute kitchen workout twice a week, right? That's all. I said, you don't need to get changed. You don't need to join a gym. You don't need to buy any equipment. It's dead simple, right? And he said, what, five minutes twice a week? Is that all dark? I said, yeah. So he goes out. He comes back maybe six weeks later. I said, how did you get on? He said, I'll tell you what, Doc, I love it. I now do it ten. T- I now do it for 10 minutes, six nights a week, because I love it that much. And that really taught me. I thought, wow, if you can make the changes you, you want your patient to make or your client to make, if you can make it simple... And you can lower the bar to entry so they feel, you know, they don't have to buy loads of equipment. They don't need to join a fancy gym. It's like, I can do it in my kitchen. It's amazing. Those five minutes become 10. Twice a week becomes six times a week. And, you know, I've got 20-year-old patients doing my five-minute kitchen workouts. I've got 80-year-old couples doing it as well. And so I imagine that's a similar approach you take is, is how do you break it down? How do you make it simple? Um, and, and, you know, you've written five books. I've written two now. All the changes I recommend... Uh, in this in this book on stress are simple. Most of them take less than 10 minutes a day. And the majority of them, if not all of them, are free, completely free. Because I want to make health accessible to everybody, not just people who are wealthy, but also I've worked in some of the most deprived communities in the UK. And these changes work, whether, you know, it doesn't matter where you live, it doesn't matter where you work, the, the, these changes work for everyone. Yeah, the, the simpler you can make it, the better. Folks, you are listening to The Real Health Podcast in association with Leia Healthcare with me, Carl Henry. I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, chatting all things The Stress Solution, his wonderful new book. Um, there's some of the tips I want to pick up on that I, that I saw in the book that I really liked. Um, the first one was how to design your morning routine effectively. Getting your day off to a stress-free kind of start is a really important thing for your, for your health. Yeah, I, I think the mornings can be such an incredibly stressful time for so many people. They wake up late, they're rushing around, trying to get kids ready, you know, trying to eat a little bit before they go out. And I talk about this whole idea about stress thresholds and that we've all got our own unique personal th- stress threshold. And we can deal with stress, but if we've been exposed to what I call multiple micro stress doses, right, these are little stress doses that in isolation we can handle, but you add them all up, one on top of each other, they get you closer and closer. And when you get to your threshold, you overreact, you get emotional, you get angry, you know, that innocent email from your work colleague really starts to irritate you. And so a morning routine, I think, is a simple way to make sure that you leave the house much further away from your threshold, your stress threshold than you would have otherwise been. And you know, I say a morning routine can take five minutes, it can take an hour, depends how long you've got, because we've all got different lives. So my current one takes about 15 minutes. And what I say to people is, look, I think a, a perfect morning routine should have three components. And that that what I call the three M's, mindfulness, movement, 
and mindset. So the first one is mindfulness. Something that forces you to be mindful. It could be meditation. It could be deep breathing. It could be, you know. It could be sitting with your morning cup of tea or cup of coffee and just staring out into the into the world. Exactly. And that's that's often what I do. So that's the first M. The second M is movement. So something to get your body moving, to get oxygen, you know, pumping around the body. Um, and again, look, not everyone has to do all three of these M's, but some people I think like the guidance and what they should do in that morning routine. And the third M is mindset. When you do something positive, it could be reading uh, a good book for two or three minutes or five minutes, just a, something positive that puts you in the right frame of mind. Because if you go straight onto your phone, right, if you go and look at the news headlines about what's been going on in the world, it can often put us in a scary state or we can get a bit fearful or anxious first thing in the morning. And so currently, um, you know, I'm on the road a lot with this book tour. I'm here in Dublin uh, doing a lot of interviews. And I know for me, if I don't do my morning routine, my whole day is much more stressy. When I do my morning routine, even if it's just 10 minutes, it makes a huge difference. So uh, a big fan of it for me, what I currently do if people are interested is um, I wake up, I do put my phone on, but I put it on airplane mode so that I don't get the emails uh, or, or the text messages or anything like that. I go on the Calm Meditation app for 10 minutes, which I really, really enjoy. And then I do sort of five minutes of movement, some hip stretches or some press-ups or some yoga moves. Um, and then what I'll do after that is mindsets. Now, I've got two young kids and my six-year-old daughter often has a sixth sense when I'm up doing my morning routine. I try and get it out of the way before the kids are up. But I don't mind if she joins me in, in the movement. She just does it with me. Um, but then if she's downstairs, what I'll do for mindsets, we'll say affirmations together. So affirmations are short, powerful, positive statements that you just repeat over and over again. So, you know, honestly, what I do, and I know you've just had a, a baby, um, and maybe this is something you'll consider with your kids as they get older, but I just hold her hands. We hold hands together and we say, I'm happy, I'm calm, I'm stress-free. I'm happy, I'm calm, I'm stress-free. We repeat that for about a minute. And actually, you know what? It sounds very trivial, but she's smiling at the end, I'm smiling at the end, and we feel really, really calm, and it lasts for the whole day. So morning routine, I think it's a really, really big one. There's two more I want to pick up on. Um, how to keep a touch diary. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I'm, look, I, I'm a hugger, by the way. I love hugging people. Well, Touch is good. <laughs> you know, I think when we talk about stress, we we talk, we talk think about breathing and meditation. And, and those things are important. And I do talk about them in the book. But we don't think about things like touch. And um, I, I've been very fortunate to get to know someone called Professor Francis McGlone, who's one of the world's leading researchers in touch. And he will tell you that touch is not a sentimental human indulgence. It's a biological necessity. And the point is that there's different kinds of touch nerve fibers. One of them tells us where, where we're being touched, right? But the, uh, there's another one, which is a slower nerve fiber that goes all the way into your brain and deep inside your brain, what's called your emotional brain. And when that nerve fiber gets stroked and stimulated, you lower levels of the stress hormone cortisol. You lower your blood pressure. Part of your immune system, which is called the natural killer cells, which help us fight the flu and colds and viruses, they go up when that nerve fiber is touched. And, and we're becoming a touch-averse society now, you know, for many good reasons. You know, there's clearly been many cases of inappropriate touch. I'm talking about safe, appropriate touch. Touch is as important for our minds as food is for our bodies. And so keep a touch diary is how many times have you had human physical contact today? And by the end of the week, I want you to double it. By the end of two weeks, I want you to triple it. Uh, because it's really, really important 
Francis McGlone's research in this area is literally mind-blowing and has changed my own behavior with my children, with my wife, with my mother who lives by herself now since my dad passed away. And we all need to touch more. Um, and we get a massive reduction in our stress response when we do that. And again, it's simple. It's an easy switch. It's that simple. Finally, so we've looked at kind of an exercise component in the morning routine. We've looked at, I suppose, an emotional touch component with the touch diary. Uh, briefly on food then, how to eat the alphabet. Yeah, so this is this whole idea that actually um, the food we eat is it provides information to the body. Food is not just energy and calories. Food is information. And there's something called the gut-brain axis, which is this communication between our guts and our brain. Now, we've known for years that our brain communicates with our guts. So a student, stressed, nervous before an exam, okay, the stress signal's coming into the brain, they feel an urge to go to the toilet, okay? So we know it comes down from the brain to the gut. But in the last few years, we've also discovered that messages go from the gut all the way up to the brain. And this is because of all these trillions of gut bugs that live inside us. So if you feed those gut bugs what they want to eat, you will send calm signals to your brain. If you feed them what they don't want to eat and they don't like, you'll send stress signals to your brain. So the whole idea of Eat the Alphabet is can you eat 26 different plant foods in any given month, not in any given week, right, which I think is challenging for a lot of people, in a month. I think that's achievable. That's why this is a sort of this chart in the book to help people, you know, print it off, put it on their fridge and tick it off. Because when you eat a diverse diet, you get diversity of your gut bugs and that's what gives you that stress resilience. You know, many of us have got our favorite bit of veg, like broccoli, right? And we eat broccoli five times a week and we think, yeah, we're getting our veg in. That's a good thing, right? A lot of people aren't eating enough veg. So if, if that's you and you're moving to eating broccoli five times a week, that's a good thing. But if you're already eating it five times a week, if you want to really optimize things, you want diversity. You want different fruits and veg on different days. Um, and it's not just fruits and veg. It can be nuts, pulses, beans, legumes, all kinds of things. Um, I'm not saying everyone has to be vegan, right? <laughs> I'm, at all, you know, I'm saying even if whether you are paleo, whether you're vegan, actually we can all benefit from eating more plant foods. So eat the alphabet is a very simple and fun way to get people to try different things. Yeah, and the simple is the key word that I think applies to the book, no question about it. Really important content, really good stuff, but it's simple and it makes it easy. Um, folks, the book is The Stress Solution by Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, The Four Steps to Reset Your Body, Mind, Relationships, and Purpose. It's available in bookstores nationwide from, from now, and your podcast is, just remind us again. The podcast is called Feel Better, Live More, and is available on all, all the usual podcast platforms. Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, thank you so much for joining us on the Real Health Podcast. Folks, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. It's a f simple solutions and simple tips are the easiest way to get healthy. You'll know from listening to our own podcast, that's exactly what we preach. And we love to bring guests in who apply the same principles and the same methods to getting people healthy. On another note, it is a very sad day on the Real Health Podcast today. I'm going to embarrass uh, our sound engineer in studio here. When we started this journey... Uh, 40 episodes ago, we put together a team, Dara, my fantastic producer, and Gav, my fantastic sound engineer. Um, we started the journey together, and it's built up and up and up to the huge numbers that we're getting now with, with the uh, the listenership, which is great. The sound that you hear is very much thanks to Gav uh, over the past 40 episodes. I can be a bit loud and a bit annoying sometimes, but he always balances it out and makes sure that you get the very best audio. He's moving on to greener pastures. I just want to say on behalf of myself, of Dara, and of all the listeners, Gav, thank you so much for your work over the past uh, 40 episodes. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, 
Gav's always fascinating because I can watch him. And Gav's reaction to guests is brilliant because I can always gauge the guests to, uh, in terms of their how kind of uh, interactive they are on how Gav is looking at them. And uh, Dr. Rangan, he was glued to you. So that's a really good sign. Gav's oh, at the good. acid test ratio. Folks, I do hope you have a wonderful week. As ever, don't forget to rate and review. And we'll see you next week for more Real Health Podcasts. Slong of all. Bye. Leia Healthcare. It's good to live. Proud sponsor of the Real Health Podcast with Carl Henry.